good morning, Journey. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you today. You know, it's, it's been a few years ago now, but I had the opportunity when I was younger to go hiking in the Grand Canyon. And uh, th- this hiking experience, it started out great, like many hiking trips do. Uh, my, my friend and I, Gabe Nelson, um, we set out, man, we were having a great time. Laughing, joking, just, you know, just really enjoying this day as we were going down the Grand Canyon. And, and as, as we're heading down, down the trail, we're seeing all these people come back up. And this is early, you know, about, about mid-morning. And these people coming back up, man, they are just sweating. They're gasping for air. They're just crawling back up the trail. And as Gabe and I are heading down laughing and joking, I'm thinking, man, these people are out of shape, you know. And, and we're, we're going down and thinking, man, I'm strong. These, these people, man, they, they just can't hack hiking in the Grand Canyon. And, and on the way down, I even found a, a walking stick that was laying next to the trail. And, and it was kind of big and heavy, but I didn't care. I grabbed it, and we're just going down, loving life, loving the beauty of this day hiking in the Grand Canyon. Well, we reached our destination, which was a, a scenic overlook of, with a great view of the Colorado River. And we spent some time there. You know, we eat our snacks. You know, we, we kind of recover from the hour and a half or so hike down to this, this scenic view. And, and by this time, it's about 11, 1130. And then, then we turn around and head back up to the rim. And about that point, we realized just how, how really dumb we were <laughs> for a couple of reasons. One, we left on our hike mid-morning around 9 or 9.30 or so. And when you're hiking in the desert, just make a note to yourself, that's not a good time to start out on, on your hike. So it's close to noon by the time that we are heading back up to the rim. And at that point, you know, things really changed. You know, we went from the laughing, joking, ha- having a great time hike to we became one of those tired, sweaty, gasping for air, crawling towards the rim people that we saw on our way down. Even this walking stick that I thought was really cool that I, that I found abandoned next to the trail, the stick became more like a walking log, and, and I also abandoned it next to the trail, and I learned why I found it there in the first place. So by the time we reached the rim, which took us like twice as long to get up as we did going down, we were humbled, exhausted, sore, and the group of people that we came there with had been worried sick trying to find us because it took so long for us to get back to the rim. You know, what what we thought would be just an easy day hike turned out to be one of the harder things I had done. You know, making the decision to walk with Jesus can feel like that at times. Things start out great. You're laughing, joking, enjoying all the fellowship. And it's kind of downhill because there's not a lot of effort involved. And sooner or later, you realize that walking with Jesus throughout life isn't all an easy downhill hike. It's not even like a day hike in the flatlands in Nebraska. It can be tough. Well, today we're continuing our series through the book of Colossians that we call The Supreme Life. And today I want to talk to you about a supreme walk and what it looks like to walk with Jesus. And folks, there's nothing better than a lifetime of walking with Jesus. 
Well, like, like any hike, like any walk, it begins by making a decision to start. It begins by, by saying yes to Jesus. Well, we're picking up in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 15. And r- right away in, ch- in verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes about this decision to set out in, in our Christian walk. Here's what he says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. That, that idea of calling Jesus our Lord is, is kind of foreign to our world today, isn't it? You know, so sometimes we try to reduce Jesus down to a guide or a guru, or sometimes it's just a good idea, a suggestion to follow. I, I remember the first time that I heard the, the, the title or the name GOAT in, ref, in reference to sports figures. I think it was um, in regard, I was watching football, and they were calling Tom Brady the GOAT. And first time I heard it, I thought, well, that's kind of rude, calling him, because I had no idea what it meant, right? And then it wasn't until later that I realized that that was an acronym that stood for greatest of all time. But then I thought, man, that's really a bold statement to make, isn't it? Because whether, you know, you're LeBron James or or Tom Brady, sooner or later, someone else is going to come along that's stronger and faster and more talented, and then that person is going to be referred to as the GOAT. Well, Jesus as our Lord is never going to get bumped off his throne. He's so much more than just you know, a goat or the guide or a guru in life. You see, saying Jesus as Lord, back, back at the time that this book of Colossians was written, that was, that was really an early confession of faith. And it's, it's hard to grasp today because we don't have that comparison, like I said, to, to the word Lord. You know, some, uh, you know one, one way to uh, try to understand it, we, we might say, you know, we might think of a commanding officer or commander-in-chief if you're in law enforcement or military. But even then, that's not a good parallel because you can have a CEO and follow his orders and still hate his or her guts at the same time. So even that is not a good parallel. But I think a good way to describe it when we talk about Jesus as Lord is us giving Jesus all of our loyalty, all of our allegiance. It's a way to say, Jesus, I'm going to attach to you and follow and walk my life with you hand in hand. But there needs to be a point in our life where we say to Jesus, I'm all in. And a walk with Jesus begins at that point by saying, you are my Lord. I am attaching to you. I'm all in, Jesus. But let me ask you the question today. Have, have you done so? Have you got to that point in your life where it's like, you know, Lord, you are everything to me. I'm giving you my allegiance, my loyalty. I'm giving you my life, and I'm going to follow after you. See, walking with Jesus begins by making that start. And and like an infant or a toddler taking those first steps, uh, you know know what that's like? The, The parents, man, they can't take enough pictures. They can't film enough video of those first steps. And, and you celebrate the child. It's like, yeah, they, they're moving. They're moving. And once they do, life is never the same, right? 
All of a sudden, they're, they're locking the cabinets, they're putting stuff up higher, and life as they know it before is radically changed. And I think it's the same when we follow Jesus. When we take those first steps, when we set out, life is never the same again. You know, for my Grand Canyon hike that day, it began by Gabe and I stepping off the rim and heading down. And our day was never the same after that. But, but our walk with Jesus has a, has a starting point. And it's that time where we say yes to Jesus, I'm all in. I, you might not know what it all looks like or what, what's going to be down the trail, but it's us saying, you know, you are my Lord. And then second of all, it, it then begins a lifetime of making spiritual progress. But do you ever f- feel spiritually dry? You know, do you ever go through life where you just don't feel connected to God and, and, and you pick up your Bible and you, you read some of it and it's just words on a page? You know, it's not speaking to you. You're, maybe it's a passage you've read a hundred times and you're just like, yeah, it's, it's just words. Or in your prayer times, you, you, you try to pray, but it feels like your prayers just hit the ceiling of the room and fall flat on the floor. And during worship, other people are engaged and, and they're, they're, you know, enjoying this worship and your mind is thinking about what you're going to do later that afternoon. You know, I've been there. I've been, I've been through those spiritually dry periods in, in my life where, where I've gone through the desert. You know, where it feels like God has checked out and, and left the building, where, where my prayers, even the words are hard to come by, and I just can't even vocalize them or say them. You know, where dryness just seems to prevail. You know, I, I had the opportunity to visit Joshua Tree National Monument a few years ago. And Joshua Tree is in the Mojave Desert region of Southern California. And this is like classic desert, hot, I mean, like really hot, dry, dusty, you know, cactus and these crazy-looking Joshua trees all around the place. But even as a desert, it does get rain from time to time. I read that they average about seven inches of rain a year at Joshua Tree. And it just so happened that the time I visited, a portion of that seven inches fell the day before. And, and I went to Joshua Tree, think, you know, anticipating just like dust bowl and death and nothing but sand. And as I was walking through it, I saw life. The cactus were blooming. And I saw wildlife. And I thought, this is amazing. And just like those plants hold on to and wait for that little sprinkling of rain, sometimes that we, we just need to hold on to Jesus during those dry times in our life. You know, we, we might be anticipating a downpour and all we get is a little bit, of just a little mist, a few drops. But man, hold on. Hang on to Jesus. You will come through on the other side. Colossians goes on to give us some images or pictures of what spiritual progress looks like, of, of what it means to, to, to move ahead in life. So in verse 7, Paul writes, he says, continue... Continue to live your lives in him, in Jesus, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So there's this picture of a tree where he says you're rooted, you're growing deep, in other words. 
with trees, I understand that, that the general rule is, is that the spread of the branches, the visible branches above, approximately equals the spread of the roots below. So in other words, if you want to grow tall, you have to grow deep. So the picture there is of this, of deep roots gathering nourishment for life. And for us, that means gathering nourishment from Scripture, gathering nourishment through, uh, through a prayer life, whether it's dynamic or, or it's a struggle. Man, spending time in Scripture, talking to God in prayer, drawing nourishment from fellowship from other believers. That means you, you show up and, and, and you stay connected. You know, I, I think when Paul wrote this in Colossians, when he wrote this letter, to the church in Colossians, he just might, he might have had in mind Psalm 1. You know, Paul was the guy that, that knew Scripture inside and out. So this image we find again in Psalm 1, where, where the psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But get this. But, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person, he says, that person is like a stream planted by streams of water which yield as fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Man, that's a beautiful picture of nourishment from God's word. He says the, the one, that, one that blossoms, the one that 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 does not wither, is the person that meditates on, on God's word. And what, what does that mean? Well, first of all, you've got to spend time in it. You've got to marinate your life in it. You need to not just study it and read it, but just let God soak, let your life soak in it. When, when Dory and I moved into our house about a month ago, um, like our, our lawn was in really rough shape nothing but thistles and dandelions and bare patches, you know. So, so I, I put some weed and feed down, and I got out the next day expecting to see a green, lush lawn, you know. My, my patient wears a little thin when it comes to that, but I realized that that's not how it works. You know, you put it down, and then you wait, and then you wait, and then I have to wait some more. And Dory reminds me, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. And then we had the rain this week, and you know what? The lawn is, is green again. It's, it's starting to, to fill out. But man, it, what does it take? It takes some nourishment. You know, it, it, it takes some nutrients. It takes some, some seed and a lot of water. And over time, it begins to grow. So the picture... One of the images there is this idea of being rooted in Scripture. But then Paul also says, you know, you got to be built up. So there's this image of a building. So you're not only gr growing down, you're growing up as well. So there's this idea of continual construction going on in our life. You know, if, if you want to build an, an addition in your home or, or do some, you know, rewiring, if you want to add a deck, to, to do it legally, you, you know, you're supposed to get a building permit, right? And a building permit says that, you know, there's work being, being done and taking place at your home. And sometimes I think we just need to hang a building permit on the heart of our life. 
and the soul of our lives, saying, hey, there's work being done here. Stuff is taking place. We're, it's going to be different when it's done. And, and you hang that, that building permit on your soul, and you say, get to work, Jesus. I'm allowing you to work in every aspect of my life. And on the other side, when it's done, when, when we meet Jesus face to face, we're not going to be the same as we are today. So we're not only growing down, we're growing up. But then there's this also this image of, he says, overflowing with thankfulness. So we're growing out as well. When the M Missouri River flooded in 2019, we were living in Council Bluffs at the time, and Dory and I w went up on, on, on the bluff with this incredible overlook uh, of the river between Council Bluffs and Omaha. And as far as we could see, it was nothing but water. Interstate 29 was underwater. The, the railway system there by Council Bluffs was underwater. And you just realize how powerful a flood is. You know, as hard as the Corps of Engineers tries to contain it, whether it's the Missouri or the Mississippi, when it's in flood stage, you can't contain it. And it just reminds me of, of when we are in Jesus Christ, when we're walking with Jesus, there's times that we cannot contain what he's doing in our lives. And, and we shouldn't try to contain it. So what does that mean? We talk about what Jesus is doing. We talk about the scriptures that, that he is, he's, he's working in our lives. You know, you're meeting with other people and just, and just sharing what God is doing in your life lately. So this image of spiritual progress, of making progress, has this idea, man, you go deep, you go up, and, and you go out. Well, to make this kind of progress, you, you need to have and be tapped into the right kind of strength. So strength for the walk is found in a couple different ways. One is found in knowing the truth, and the second of all is found in identifying with the truth. Knowing the truth is, is knowing Jesus. So Paul continues in, in verse 8 to point out this idea of just being, being careful about being deceived. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the ele elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Folks, there's deception is out there. There's things out there that, that will pull you away from Jesus Christ if we're not careful. And the best defense against it is to know the truth. Not knowing Jesus, not knowing the truth makes us vulnerable. And Paul uses this image of, of he says, being, being taken captive. The, the idea there is literally being kidnapped, where Satan can come into our life, snatch us away, and before, we're, before we know it, we are held captive by something other than Jesus. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the more we get to know him, the more we get to know his word, the stronger we are in our walk with Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, how they train bank tellers and, and cashiers to identify counterfeit bills. Well, they don't point out, you know, what might be wrong. They teach them to study what is true, what is right. So you hold up the bill to the light and, and you can see the right print. And then sometimes they'll take that marker and write on it to see if it's the right paper. And identifying what's right helps them point out what might be wrong. So our strength 
is found first and foremost in knowing Jesus. So do you know Jesus? Do you know him in, in a personal way as your Lord? Have you put that loyalty and allegiance in him? Or is he just a guy? Is he just some religious leader? Is he just somebody that some, some other people talk about? Do you know Jesus? Well, our strength is also found in our identity with Jesus. We pick up in verse 9, and Paul writes, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Let me just pause there for a second. Paul just reasserts the divinity of Jesus there. He kind of lays that out there again, that Jesus is God. And then he goes on in verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So there's this discussion about our identity. In other words, he's saying out with the old identity and in with the new identity. But what's up with all this discussion and talk about circumcision, besides making us uncomfortable and a little awkward? You know, Jewish males were circumcised as a sign of the covenant that Israel had with God. It was a physical reminder and expression of their identity and their heritage. So in verse 11, he says that all who follow Christ have put off the old way of life. So that old lifestyle with its practices, with its thoughts, with its habits is taken off and set aside and we are to put on a new life in Christ. So there's a total breaking away from the old and we're no longer wearing the old clothes. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it talks about that. It says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And I love that. The old has gone, the new is here. That's a great reminder that our old self is dead, gone, put away. And we are new. We have a new identity in Christ. And what does that look like? Or what, what's the... The symbol of that? Well, he says it takes place in baptism. Baptism is this beautiful picture of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So through this act of immersion, when we go down into the water, we are buried with Christ. And as we come up out of the water, it's a symbol, symbol of a new birth, a new beginning, a new life found in Jesus. It's a dying to self and being raised to, to the newness of life. You know, it's that symbol of our new identity with Jesus. So have you been there? Have you been there? Ha have you been immersed into Christ and carrying that new ID card that says, I'm walking with Jesus? And then Colossians gives us really this beautiful picture of what the heart of the gospel is. Because look at, what Paul writes in verse 13. He says, when you were dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, 
nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You know what I love about that and the gospel that, that's contained in that? Is that God doesn't wait for us to clean up our own lives before he makes us alive. Because he says, when you were dead, he makes us alive. He's canceled the charge, the, the, the legal indebtedness. He, he's canceled that, that guilt that sin has in our life because of our identity in Christ. And in the end, he says, we are victorious because of Christ and the cross. Victory is found, and this is the crazy part, victory is found in our identity with Christ on the cross. Victory is found in an instrument of death. Die to self, he's saying. Be raised to newness of life. So, Journey, if you put off the old clothes, if you put off the old self, don't go back and pick it up again. Leave it. Walk away and walk with Jesus. You know, I, I recently learned about an ultra marathon called Run, Rabbit, Run. Do we have any marathon runners in here? Any, anybody run a marathon? One person. Oh, man. You, you need some serious psychological help. <laughs> but this ultra marathon, from what I understand, I've never run one, never will, uh, but it's anything beyond the 26.2. And this marathon, ultra marathon, is 100 miles long. And it's in the area of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And it's through the mountains, through, you know, it's on trail, it's on road. It's a brutal marathon. And I learned about it because I watched a short film um, called How to Run 100 Miles. And it's a great, like, 15, 20-minute film about two friends that train and run the Run, Rabbit, Run ultra marathon. And as, as it goes through their story of prepping and running and, and kind of the follow-up, they, they bring in some life lessons that I thought were pretty cool. And one says, it really helps to have a friend along. And, and the, the movie just uh, tells the story of, of how these two guys, lifelong friends, did everything together. They trained together. And on race day, they ran the race together. They stayed with each other. And, and there's a quote in that movie that really stuck with me. And he says, real friends show up. Man, that is so good. And, and another lesson in the movie just said that it's going to be a struggle. I mean, when you run an ultra marathon, you realize that, yeah, it's going to be hard, but when you're in the midst of the run, rabbit, run, it's going to be a lot harder than you ever anticipated. It's going to be a struggle. And another lesson that I thought was really good was just you have to keep moving. So in this race, if you're not running, you're walking. If you're not walking, you're crawling. But never stop moving for the 24 or 36 hours that it takes to run that race. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, you know, this walk that we are on, this Christian life that, that we, we call walking with Jesus, man, we don't do it alone. It helps to have a friend along. And you know what? The kind of friend that, that we have in our Christian life needs to be one of those 2 a.m. friends. Do, do you know what I mean by a 2 a.m. friend? Someone that you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning and they show up.
they come over. What, whatever you're going through in life, whether it's 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., they show up when you need a friend. And you know what? It's also going to be a struggle. You know, we, we might start out on our Christian walk thinking, yeah, it's all downhill. It, we're laughing, we're joking, but it does get hard because God calls us to make decisions that are not popular at times. And you know what? We have to keep moving as well. Whether you're running, walking, or crawling, man, keep moving closer and closer to Jesus because there's nothing better than a lifetime of walking with Jesus. So this morning, I would love to talk with you about your own walk with Jesus. You know, how to start it, how to step off the rim and get going, or maybe to restart it if you've stalled out, or maybe you just need some help to keep going because it's been tough. And I would love to have that conversation with you. So look me up, come talk to me, and let's, let's, let's have a conversation about what it means to walk with Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your scripture and just the encouragement that you give us of what it looks like to, to walk with Jesus. Father, help us draw strength from you and you alone and, and our identity with Jesus. Help us find strength here within the church family that we call Journey. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that they can be walking with Jesus day after day. So Father, encourage us in that. Give us your strength so that we can live for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.